Is it a part of, of, of the credibility of a band to, to deal with the absence of hope, like I thought I heard in some of your songs? No, it's all about being very constructive, is this? Yes. It's realistic. What kind of constructiveness? Well, it's a grim world. Even in Belgium, it's a grim world. Yeah. So we feel it necessary to point that out and use that as a basis. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. We are finding ourselves in season three where we are running the gamut of all things bands and artists that we all three enjoy and love and appreciate and want to share with the world. Last episode, we had the pleasure of talking about Uncle Acid and the Dead Beats that was nominated by Stephen one of my co-creators and co-hosts who I will introduce in just a second. Uh, But this is Mark, uh, leader of the band. Not really. We're all all co-signers and co-chairmen of this thing we call Pod Like a Hole. But what we do here, um, season one, we talked about Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. Season two, we talked about David Bowie. And season three... Uh, we each put up 14 artists and bands, and we are going in random order by rolling a, I don't know, let's say a 30-sided dice. We like to call that bad boy the diamond dice. Um, at this point, if you have been a long-time listener, I even thought that maybe that diamond dice would send us through a portal, quantum leap style, going into each of these artist bodies to take you into the creation and the recording of some of these monumental records that have lasted and will last forever. Um, But uh, tonight we are going to be talking about one of Eric's pick and Eric is also with us and we'll be handing the reins, the captain's seats. He'll be steering the ship onto uh, better horizons. But tonight we are going to be talking about sisters of mercy the album Floodland that was released in 1987. I'm very excited to talk about this. Uh, was actually, I think, uh, Eric was the one that uh, potentially turned me on to this band a couple, maybe a couple years ago. So it's only apt that he now tells all of you about how great this band is and how great this album is. But before we do that, Let's go ahead and go around the horn and introduce ourselves. Stephen, let's hear the voice of those sonorous pipes. Good evening. There he is. There he is. (laughs) Sitting Sitting in his chambers, if you will, smoking on his pipe with his jacket firmly ensconced, ready by the fire to talk about Floodland. And now... Without further ado, Eric, take it away. Thanks, Mark. And you know, buddy, I, I, it's it's really your turn. I mean, it's been. I mean, you haven't gone since the wall. You haven't gone since episode one of this season. So you got to be chomping at the at, at the bit right now. Yeah, you know, I am. I'm 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 looking forward to hearing my name being called out and saying it's your turn. It's your turn, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, 
you know, let the fates fall where they, where they may. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a mechanism of my own design. And, you know, sometimes you're going to, you're going to feel the effects of that. So. I appreciate the trust though. You know, I have the dice over here. I roll them and I call them out and you've got the list. It's a two-part authentication process. We do uh, checks and balances. We yeah. have two-factor. Yeah, because you could just be you could just be accusing us of stealing stealing the stealing the vote, and so <laughs> stop the steal. Yeah, <laughs> my top lawyers are on it right now. Uh, I've got my my best man standing in front of an Ace Hardware, um, ready to uh, show a binder full of affidavits. About yeah, well, actually, you guys have, actually. Uh, uh, I was Mark's best man, and that's why I'm kind of distracted right now. Is I just got back from the Ace Hardware, and uh, they're fresh out of uh, hair dye, so it all went terribly wrong for me. So, I mean, uh, Mark, Mark I things are looking to... good. They're not buying it. I don't. Uh, the Americans, they just they want to remain ignorant to the truth. I'm sorry. You know, I I didn't go to Bird Law School for nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually, actually, the real, real reason I'm kind of distracted at the moment is somewhere in the distance there is, and I think, I think it's those guys that I heard playing uh, Enter Sandman over and over again one day, and I walked until I found them. Well, they're burning the uh, 9.30 p.m. oil tonight, and I think that same group of guys that are all over the age of 60 that have a practice space in one of the uh, mechanic shops about half a mile from here are playing the boys of summer over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like after dark. I don't know what is going on. Oh, but, uh, they got to they they gotta get that set down for their, their, you know, their, their Friday night at Pistol Pete's this week. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> because uh, they're, they're, they're not going to be prisoners. They're not going to be locked up, even though everybody says, get back inside. You blew it again. COVID, COVID, COVID. Mm. And uh, yeah, they're going to be at Pistol Pete's. Playing loud and playing proud. Stopping the steal. Sure. Sure. They're true patriots. True patriots. Season four, season four, <laughs> baby. That's right. All right. Well, um, Mark, yeah, you had mentioned that that uh, I had maybe turned turned you on to them, but it, may, it probably was my wife. Um, my history with this band, uh, Sisters of Mercy, was actually didn't start with my wife. It did go back to to high school for me, and um, sophomore year, uh, I am hanging out with like the goths. Um, yeah, me and my buddy fancied ourselves in an industrial band. Uh, I made the music, he sang. We were called Fixation, and we were terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a demo tape floating around out there somewhere, but we did hang out with some of the uh, some of the goths at our school. Um, 
real shiny uh, shin guard wearing, trench coat wearing guys. And uh, clove smoking. Clove smoking. And um, you know, I was more of an industrial kid back then. Um, but uh, one of them, I don't remember his name, uh, but I do remember he wore the same misfit shirt every day for an entire school year. And he uh, he gave me a mixtape uh, of some goth stuff that he that you know might be my my entryway into it. And while there was some stuff on there like uh, Switchblade Symphony uh, and such, uh, there was some some legitimate stuff like uh, Dead Can Dance and then um, Sisters of Mercy. So I do remember, and they were songs off this album that we'll be talking about. So I do remember at least respecting the kind of epic songcraft, and then. Uh, Kind of didn't think about him for many years and then you know uh, i got together with my wife what now 15 years ago and they're one of her favorites and so uh especially this album so this album's been kind of like a regular feature in our house uh music videos and such and um is either one of the two of us that, that maybe turned you on to it mark but that's kind of my history with this band but i don't know a lot about them except the little things she's told me here and there so it was fun to kind of do a little research uh for this episode um so while I've always liked this album, uh, this, this is my first kind of understanding of their history. And it's an interesting history, short history. When uh, you had told your wife um, that we were going to be discussing Sisters of Mercy, did she just scoff at you and be like, you're not going to be able to do it justice? <laughs> no, she, no, 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 no. To be fair. Okay. It's, it's either one or two things uh she'll uh you know if she's if she has had a couple glasses of wine she'll be like i should just go on there and show you all what's what exactly <laughs> bring heather on here and especially yeah. when she's toasty and then the next day i said uh i said hey heather you uh you still want to come on that episode no god no no god no absolutely not <laughs> uh she was, uh, she was i'm telling you just a few glasses of wine a little bit of that uh tincture and uh right. we yeah, got ourselves right. a, a stew going baby that's right <laughs> she was she was she was uh, uh, proud of me uh for putting this on my list uh but this this one though you know she did have a lot to do with me liking it um I've always kind of respected them and, and, but, but she definitely is a reason why they've just be kind of become ingrained in their Anderson family. They're an, they're an Anderson family band. No doubt about it. I mean, now that you say that, I do remember when we worked together, um, she would put on, um, you know, a variety of stuff that I actually did perk my ears up quite a bit. Um, however, I, I don't think she put a lot of sisters of mercy on i mean she did but i don't think we talked about it too often i think she got poo-pooed by some of our other knuckleheads that we worked with and um normally that doesn't phase heather but um yeah i i think i really got into him i think when you probably got into him and you kind of then started to rub off on me a little bit sure um sure. yeah but yeah no you're you're probably right my first exposure to that band was certainly through your wife your wife <laughs> steve any history with this band yeah i always heard about them i heard the name probably got them mixed up with other bands like sister machine gun or machine to loving grace similar just sounding names for whatever reason aesthetics and uh yeah as a teenager and adult who likes the darker music of course sisters of mercy were always around I never really got into them, and uh, actually, it was a one key day at Mark's house, where again, 
somebody had a couple glasses of wine. I'm not going to say who. And <laughs> we started watching music videos and the uh, Dominion video, which I automatically, instantly, I was like, hey, shit, that's the Last Crusade set. And um, <laughs> yep, that, that caught my attention. And I was like, that song's not bad either. And uh, yeah, I ended up listening to the whole album that week. This is just a few years ago, maybe two, maybe yeah. less than two. Yeah. And um, yeah, they definitely, I was like, hey, this is, it's fun to discover a band that probably would have liked when I was a lot younger, but I discovered them as an old man because as I've said before, you can't catch everybody, um, uh, you know, growing up. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a late, late breaking discovery for me. I remember, I remember very specifically, I had that album on, on rotation for a while after that. And one day I was driving back to my, my home in Auburn and I was taking a hill called Indian Hill Road. Mark's familiar with it. Uh, and I was listening to that same damn song. And I pulled over and I was looking at this vast expanse. In Indian Hill Road, you can see all of Newcastle to all of the Placer County, that, that south, all the way to Sacramento. Yeah. And uh, just that vista with that just epic sounding song. It is such a, a perfect moment of uh, visualization and music for that band. Cause they have a very, that's what I like about them are the songs that sound very epic. Yeah. Like they can echo into infinity. Some of these songs. Yeah. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll of course get into it. Yeah. But that's what made me uh, end up liking them. And that was that just a couple of years ago. Yeah. So there you go. Panoramic. I think you're, you're the, with the image there you're you making go. me think, make, I, I think they, they have, they can get, panoramic in their sound yeah yeah definitely um okay well let's go into uh history of the band uh 1980 leeds england uh gary marks and andrew eltridge uh created the band together they named Stop. yes is that his real name andrew eldritch uh as far as i know because you know like an eldritch horror is hb lovecraft type thing and ah. it's just very very coincidental that that's uh, his name, if so. That's pretty interesting. Huh. <laughs> his oh, real sorry. name is Andrew William Harvey Taylor. You see, that's not nearly as evil sounding. So that's exactly why he, uh, he plucked a name from the vast expanse of the void of H.P. Lovecraftisms. I love it. And a good connection there, Steve. That, well done. Um, and, and there's a lot of references to to literature and stuff in, in, in their lyrics and in their songs um, and in their name. Uh, the Sisters of Mercy were a, uh, a kind of legion of nuns, uh, but specifically they picked it because it uh, came from the song Sisters of Mercy by Leonard Cohen um, off the uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller soundtrack. And um, they started and it's kind of a college town um, and they would kind of do their, their goth rock take on um, some singles at the time they did covers. And then you'll see cover songs became kind of a part of their history. We'll get to as their band expands a little bit more. Can I make a comment about their name? Yeah. Uh, interesting. You bring up the, the name being from a, a like a, a, a collection of nuns, because if you go up <clears throat> Indian Hill road here in Auburn, California, and you hang a left on Auburn Folsom and uh, right when you get past uh, my do overlook, and on your right-hand side, there's going to be a Sisters of Mercy Church, right? When you get into town, that, when you take that route. And uh, my grandmother used to work at that church uh, about a decade ago. So, oh, man. 
There yeah, you this go. Is, things are lining up here. Tying yeah. it all together Energy's, for everybody. Uh, popping, buzzing. It's great. Yeah, I can guarantee you that uh, Maria never listened to the Sisters Murphy Mercy Band. But <laughs> what are you gonna do? Uh, they did get together and they recorded their first single. Um, mostly it was just them, with uh, Gary Marks playing guitar and helping to write songs and sing songs, and Andrew doing uh, playing live drums and um, the, and and then also singing. And their first single was Damage Done, Watch, and Home of the Hitmen. Um, and I listened to it, it's very low, lo-fi. Um, and the guitar is huge. Like they were going for this huge, like uh, uh, echoey guitar sound, but it's not like huge, like, um, like metal huge, but like reverby, miking a, an echoey amp kind of big. Um, it's but it's definitely a distinctive sound. Um, and they kept going, and they and they uh, they added Craig Adams on bass. And Eldritch decided he just wanted to take over singing, and the you know Gary Marks and the other guys agreed. And so they decided, well, we could get a drummer, or we could just uh, use a drum machine. And they christened. Uh, their drum machine, Dr. Avalanche. And Dr. Avalanche uh, remained uh, the, a, other than Andrew, the only permanent member of Sisters of Mercy. Um, and he's credited in all the albums as Dr. with a K, Avalanche. Um, and so they, they kept going and then they uh, added Wayne Hussey, uh, who played 12-string electric guitar and acoustic guitars and added them in, and, and um, which he, he, he was a hired gun for Dead or Alive and um, kind of added a, a new layer to their sound. And it was around this time, this is, this is, um, this is looking at early to mid-80s, their, their uh, tours were... Uh, huge they were they were known as a live act because um people would go nuts over their set lists and they were one of the biggest bootlegged bands even before they put out their first album because uh at least in the uk because they were covering they would pick really weird covers like they do jolene by dolly parton um give me shelter by rolling stones they would do abba songs but they would do it in their big gothy rock sound um and uh it really built a reputation that way uh, and then in 85, they were finally ready for their first album. It was First, Last, and Always. And um, I don't know if you guys got a chance to listen to that, that album. Um, it's pretty good. Um, it's lo-fi and kind of scrappy, but it's, it's got a lot of gravitas to it still. A lot of spooky guitar riffs. Uh, the song Black Planet is phenomenal. So good. Uh, Rock in a Hard Place. Uh, Is, a, is another definitely required listen. Did you guys get a chance to check anything out off that album? I didn't. Um, I think I have listened to, they have a greatest hits collection. 
And I think I have listened to that, and I'm sure I found some of those songs that you're talking about. I on think that. they would b both be on there. Yeah, Rock um, in a Hard Place has the great line between the devil and the deep blue sea. It's a, it's a good. That's an, another anthem. Sorry. Yeah. No, I mean honestly, I uh, I'll need to. Uh, I mean, how many albums does does this band have? Three. I mean, they got three. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So I that's that's can be done in a day. So yeah, I'll I'll get around to it. Um, and so, uh, what basically was happening there is Andrew was, um, it doesn't really get into details about it, but he was, his health and was deteriorating and he was having some mental health issues. And so basically the band would do everything. And then, uh, Andrew would come in and just show up and do his lyrics and, and, and leave. Um, it was produced by David Allen who did uh, disintegration by the cure. Um, yep. And it uh, definitely has a, 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 a good stamp on it. It doesn't feel as bombastic and over the top as, as Floodland that we'll get to. Um, but uh, so it definitely does feel like maybe, uh, maybe more in line with disintegration as far as it kind of definitely having some indie cred. Um, but <clears throat> the band was suffering. Eldritch really wanted to keep it going, but he wanted to move... Wayne Hussey over to play synths instead of playing his like 12 string guitars. He wanted to um, actually add more synths and go a much more electronic route. And the band just said, uh, yeah, no. And they left uh, right after that, right after um, that first album dropped. So 1986, um, they're split and they, you know, they don't know what they're going to do with the name Sisters of Mercy. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, the two um, guitarists, you have uh, Wayne, or no, I'm not the guitar, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, yes, Wayne Hussey and Gary Marks, the two guitarists, they start touring as a band called The Sisterhood, and um, they're making, they're, they're playing all the songs that, um, that Craig had, uh, had written uh, for the next, like the follow-up album, um, and this pissed off Andrew Eldridge. So he then beat them to the studio and recorded an album called The Gift by the Sisterhood, uh, where he, so they could never release an album under that name. long feud between them because you know andrew thought it was pretty cheap that they would steal the sisters of essentially the sisters of mercy kind of moniker to call it the sisterhood and then they thought it was pretty cheap how he got back um uh but the sisterhood the gift was the first collaboration with patricia morrison um who would be kind of his at least aesthetically his right hand person for floodland um she was kind of like uh you know a uh, essentially like the queen of goths. Um, she was married to lead singer of the damned. Um, and she looks like Elvira meets punk rock. Um, I mean, her look is, is pretty iconic for the, for that scene. She used to play in the gun club, um, and some band called the bags. And he brought her in to, uh, record, um, 
and she 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 claimed to be a bass player and a, and a singer and she definitely sings on the gift and the gift is kind of a proto album for floodland it's like a demo it's very synthy it's almost some of it even sounds more in the industrial realm than than the goth realm um it's pretty interesting and it's not bad listen at all um and that and then uh at some point after recording that they decided hey we can carry this on under the main name we still had some 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 res- you know some respect under sisters of mercy and um, so we're going to carry on with that name. Uh, meanwhile, the guys that got that left the band, Wayne and Craig, they formed the band, massively successful band, successful band, The Mission UK. Um, who I don't know if you guys have listened to them at all. Uh, not on purpose. I'm sure that uh, my time in the record store probably you know something yeah. washed over me, but no, nothing. They were kind of like I would put them in the same uh the same aisle as like the cult as like going for for dark but definitely still just kind of a brit you know almost like a like a dark side of brit pop kind of thing that sounds Um, that sounds about right because uh definitely the live version of this band before they mutated sounds like in description sounds like the cult to me the yeah the, the original sisters of murphy and the sisters yeah. Sounds like the cult. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and so yeah, the Mission UK is okay. Uh, the uh, the Craig, uh, what's his name here? Craig? Or sorry, not Craig. Gary Marks is uh, often ridiculed for his lyrics so much so that it will come up as an as an entire premise for a song on Floodland. Um, so, uh, uh, but they are bombastic, and a lot of people really do like 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 the Mission UK. Can we talk about Patricia Morrison a little more? Yeah, yeah. Uh, are you guys familiar with the Gun Club at all? No, I'm, I'm familiar, familiar with the name, but not with the band. Yeah, I feel like I probably saw an album cover or something, but I've never listened. I might have suggested them to you guys. They're very much, they're very much like the, uh, the, ba- uh, the birthday party if they had more melody. If the birthday party had more melody. Sure. Is, is what they sound like, like to me. And um, I've, I've been a fan for a few years. And uh, I find it interesting also, another band she was in was called The Fur Bible. And I'm not, I didn't catch it. That was one of the ones you mentioned, Eric. But oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't that band, list. yeah, that band was with the Kid Congo Powers, who, speaking of the birthday party, was a bad seed for a while in the mid-80s there. Shit. So, interesting mix. And he definitely, I found a few uh, interviews with Eldricks, and he, he, he really did not hold back over... Uh, picking her was yeah she had some musical talent but also just her aesthetics and he knew what he was doing like she was you know like a goth pinup um right he he needed somebody for all the promotional material and everything and he figured hey this will get people's attention so uh yeah he really he he, he said that she was a, a, a a key uh vital part of the band's visual identity in this period in on the album cover and in the videos and he didn't have a band, so he couldn't go on tour. So he did a year of promos for the album. And it was nice to have somebody to answer half the questions and look pretty. <laughs> Just, yeah. And uh, yeah. they actually, later, she's, she claims to this day that he owes her money still. So Really? Like, yeah, it sounds like things didn't work out too well between the two of them. Pretty this acrimonious. Guy, this, guy, this guy just seems like a prick at the end of the day. Sure. sure. <laughs> Andrew Eldridge definitely doesn't seem like he took care of his people. Yeah. Um, 
absolutely because uh, the saying if uh everywhere you go you see an asshole maybe you're the asshole maybe applies here is what you're saying <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean yeah. even in, in when we talk about the video for dominion i mean he looks in this era if he's not looking like he does in the uh the corrosion video he looks like Ellis from Die Hard, who's the biggest prick in all of movies. So, you know. And I've, I've met those fuck, I've met musicians that look just like that fucking guy in that video. And not once are they ever not a prick. So it all ties together. Face full of cocaine in, the, uh, uh, in, 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 in a high rise there with Bruce Willis coming for you. That's right. <laughs> Booby, baby, <laughs> what are we talking here? Uh. Yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Um, but he, you know, he's starting to write songs for this new album. Um, he wants to bring the electronic stuff he got from The Gift and, you know, add a little bombast to it. Um, so he starts writing songs for Floodland and Hamburg. And, um, you know, it's really a water city. Um, and he was really influenced by that um, as the concept of water um, comes out and up in almost every song. And... What he did here was uh, he and Larry Alexander um, essentially produced the whole thing. And uh, Andrew Eldritch did all the music. Well, of course, Dr. Avalanche, the drum machine. But Andrew did all of the music. He did hire initially Patricia Morrison to play bass. But um, turns out that uh, she had, uh, as he called it in an interview, writer's block and couldn't come up with musical ideas and didn't even pick up her bass during the recording of it. So we ended up taking that on and um, she sings back up on some songs. But like you said, um, I think it was honestly, you know, 75% visual uh, promotional aesthetic and, um, and 25%, you know, singing on the album. Uh, it's, uh, it's um, yeah, I think it's effective though. Uh, she's definitely fits their image for this time. Um, you know, they, they were a different band on the last album. They'll be a different band on the next album. And, and she is a part of, of this, of this era for them. Um, so this was recorded in Manchester for the most part. Um, but then they brought on, um, super producer Jim, Jim Steinman, who produced Meatloaf and Barry Manilow, among other things, to, uh, produce two of the tracks on here, Dominion and This Corrosion. And he, um... He basically uh, uh, finished up adding touches to those songs in a, in a New York recording studio. And for um, this corrosion, he brought in uh, Eddie Martinez to play guitar, who was in Robert Palmer's band. He played on Addicted to Love. And, um, and then uh, he brought in the New York Choral Society to sing um, those big chorus backup vocals on um, those two tracks as well. So he basically, Jim Steinman, this huge super producer, kind of touched uh those two tracks and then everything else was andrew and um larry alexander but he helped produce the album because he helped them secure the the giant budget they wanted right yeah so he was key for that definitely absolutely um yeah so they put it out uh they did not tour for this album they did like those like lip-syncing live uh live shows and um you know, initially it came out, it got mixed reviews uh, for, I think. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Like top of the pops type shit? Yes, exactly. You got okay. it. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, they got mixed reviews from critics when it came out. And even though now it's pretty much thought as like a absolute classic for like the goth rock uh, genre at the time, uh, somebody had a pretty good 
quote. I have it here unless any of you guys have it handy. Um, it was essentially if Meatloaf joined The Cure and they did a remake of uh, Lou Reed's Berlin album. <laughs> um, and that was supposed to be a dig. Yeah. But I'm, I'm here for it, as <laughs> yeah. the kids on TikTok would say. Right, right. Uh, it, was, it was successful. It debuted number nine on the UK charts. And it was certified gold. Um, so uh, it, uh, it, it was at least top 40 across all of Europe. So it was, um, it was, not, a, it was not a commercial failure. Um, and we'll get into track by track. I'll just sort of wrap up their history really quick here. In 1990, um, Patricia had left the band and Andrew um, teamed up with Jim, Jim Steinman again to produce the entire record. And he brought on um, uh, Tony James from Six Six Spudnik and uh, Generation X and a couple other guys. And they did like more of a whole live band feel for their album Vision Thing. And um, it, uh, it's not a bad album. It's very polished compared to everything else. It doesn't feel as moody. It's kind of more um, guitar forward live band. But there's a couple great tracks on it. Ribbons is um, is awesome. It just sounds like a completely different band. Although his voice is distinctive. There's a ridiculous video for a song called Dr. Jeep, where he's dancing in front of a bunch of TV screens with like uh, George H.W. Bush clips and, and ridiculous stuff on it. Um, and they were going to uh, tour for that album. They had this great idea. They worked it out. They were going to tour with Public Enemy uh, in 1990 to 1991. And then um, a bunch of cities uh, banned them from playing because they were worried about racial violence. And it kind of fizzled out the whole idea, which sucks. So they, they and then after that, and um, you know, other pressures from the uh, from Warner. Um, I believe they actually like were about ready to boycott Warner. They just they, uh, Eldritch finally just pulled the plug and said it's over. Uh, they did release one more album, "Some Girls Wander," uh, which is a collection of early recordings, and it's got some of their. Um, their cover songs. It's got a, a, a Gimme Shelters on there, which is awesome. They do a great job of that. So worth checking out. It's technically the fourth album, but it's all just a collection of pre-recorded stuff. Um, and that's, you know, that's their history. That was, that was it. Apparently sometime in the last couple decades, Gary Marks from, from the mission UK uh, worked something out with Eldritch. They had an agreement. 
Uh, Marx wrote 11 musical tracks and Eldritch was going to come sing on it, but he backed out without saying a single word and just kind of backed out of the project. He just left it out there. So their, their grand reunion would never, would never come to be. And uh, that is the torrid history of, uh, of uh, Sisters of Mercy. I do find it fascinating that they continue to tour to this day. Um, and they just refuse to release any new recorded music. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, 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 on it, I, even when I was young, I would kind of pay attention to bands that would actively tour, but maybe they don't just come stateside. Maybe they're just a UK and Europe thing. Um, unless you want to keep me honest on that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Because yeah. uh, I think at some point Heather realized they were touring again and they've never, they've never hopped the Atlantic. So. Yeah. Yeah. I would have, I would have probably have gone to see one of those in my heyday. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I just literally thought they just fell into obscurity. Yeah, it's, it's, kind of it's, did, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's Andrew Eldritch and uh, whatever kind of lineup of hired guns he's got. And that's, that's sure. That's the touring thing. Um, but yeah. So. That's what I got on that. If you don't have anything else, any questions or any other thing on that, we can go into the track by track for Floodlands. Let's do Floodland. it. All right. Track one is Dominion slash Mother Russia. When two songs became one. guys get into your thoughts on dominion mother russia um i'll just tell you a little bit about the background on um what this uh what this song is kind of lyrically about uh so this song is meant to feel like you're walking into kind of like a post-apocalyptic wasteland um and a lot of the songs on here are kind of like fear and anxiety around cold war and end of the world type stuff um he references uh, a poem, Ozzy Mendeus. Um, of course, we know the character from The Watchmen. Um, the classic line of that is it's basically about somebody who walks into this crumbled ruins and looks at the, the throne and it's, it's crumbling apart. And there is a plaque there that says, my name is Ozzy Mendeus, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. And just kind of this, this idea that, you know, uh, everyone can think they're, they're, they're ruling the world, but eventually when it crumbles, you know, you're nothing but uh, ruins. We all saw that Breaking Bad episode. We know what you're talking about. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. As uh, uh, Eric went for the, the low-hanging fruit, you decided to ascend the tree a little higher there. <laughs> That's right. And if I, want, if I wanted to take it to one more level up, I could bring up uh, Ozzy Mendeus is also the character that is 
Apocalypse's right-hand man in the mid-90s X-Men comic books. Not the same uh, Ozymandias from the Watchmen, obviously. That would be phenomenal. Cool. Yes, phenomenal. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um, Anyways, the, uh, the, there's a lot of images of a fallen world in the heat of the night, in the heat of the day. Um, and, uh, you know, talking about in the land of the blind, you know, and then he just says king because the, the quote is in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And just that, you know, uh, when it's a leveled playing field, um, it takes maybe somebody, a, a, different, a different kind of person to lead. Um, and and that's what it's about. And then it, it, then it hits up on this. The the music stays the same, but it transitions into a song called Mother Russia, which is uh, it switches locales, and you have um, a bunch of Americans watching Reagan on the TV as Chernobyl, the Chernobyl disaster from Russia, rains down upon them. Uh, there's a great line in there. Uh, we serve an old man in a dry season, a lighthouse keeper in a desert sun, which is apparently about Reagan. And then there's a great uh, tweak on the Bob Dylan song, Stuck Inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Stuck Inside of Memphis with the mobile home. Um, and as you're watching TV and uh, the uh, Chernobyl disaster is, is raining down upon you. Um, so kind of uh, going from a crumbled society to... Uh, essentially a bunch of <laughs> Americans sitting in their trailer parks um, uh, zombified in front of their TV while actual disaster is happening around them, uh, not caring. Um, so that's what the song's about. But let us start with Mark. What do you think? So Dominion, Mother Russia, is a great way to start the album. Um, it really does set the tone. Um, if this is your entry point into Sisters of Mercy, um, it's, uh, it's incredibly catchy. Um, what I also appreciate about this song is that it, there's minimal orchestration that guitar riff. It sounds like anyone could potentially play that if you just showed them the tab, uh, and they'd be able to replicate it pretty easily. Um, however, it does come off lush and atmospheric that probably is due to the reverb drums um well drum machine um dr avalanche, dr. avalanche. also the the yeah. this is one of the songs that has the big uh, orchestral vocals that gives it a that's right full sound that's right um where i really remember listening to this um and actually really getting into it was during um my gameplay of grand theft auto 4 uh when you stole the car um there would be a radio station and that was actually DJed by Iggy Pop. And um, this song would play and he would do a little intro to talking about this song. I and forgot I, about that. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was also helped bring about the resurgence of uh, Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus as well. That was also played on that radio station. I was really fun about the Grand Theft Auto games, um, especially if you look back at San Andreas. There was a lot of like mm -hmm. 
uh, 90s hip hop, which was a lot of fun, and 90s like alternative rock as well. But Grand Theft Auto 4 was one of the ones that I really got sucked into. That was an excellent game. Big fan of the Rockstar games. Um, but Dominion, Mother Russia, um, you had also pointed out that it was, you know, inspired by that Ozymandias and um, Eldritch talking about it's about erecting monuments and outrageous places to one's own personal power. The video makes no sense. Um, obviously, there's a narrative going on, and I can't really pick it out because uh, at the well, you end, see, you see, Mark, uh, yeah. the penitent man can pass if he kneels. And so that's true. That's the whole true. the whole story there is that they're there to get the grail for uh, Eldrick's father. He's <laughs> he's been shot, and they need to pass the the three trials, I believe. And uh, obviously, uh, Pat Morrison is a secret Nazi. And um, so, are you saying that Steven Spielberg actually cribbed the plot? Because you know, Last Crusade came out in '89. And this is 87, so... He well, obviously, we all, like, we all know that know Spiel, Spielberg, Spielberg's a hack. He hasn't made uh, a good movie since 1941. Exactly. So, yep. You know. yep. Someone hey, who just watched the Belushi documentary, I, I, I subscribe to that. Yep. We should talk about the video, though, really quick, because it is incredible. It's iconic. It is the first film project to ever be allowed in the town of Petra in Jordan. Um they were the first ones in it. And yes, it is the same place that uh, uh, Last Crusade was filmed, those big ruins. Um, so if these, guys, if these guys don't get in there and film this video in those big ruins, did they pave the way for arguably my favorite movie ever made? It's in top it's five. possible. It have to Absolutely be. Absolutely possible. And, and yeah. just to tie it to, to, and it's so crazy that Indiana Jones Last Crusade came out years later, a couple years later, because... Uh, Andrew Eldritch looks like um, Be uh, Belloc <laughs> in it with his white. He's got exactly. his white suit and his cane, and he'll always have the cane. Hold on uh, a sec. Belloc uh, was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. yes. You're thinking, uh, well, yeah, he kind of does. Because I, I just mean he looks yeah. like Belloc with the suit and all that, but um, yeah. That's I, true. I, I, Belloc's and, not the villain. Yes. In, Donovan, in Donovan. 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 Donovan is a, yeah, a Belloc derivative. Yeah. Um, arguably more sinister because that motherfucker sold out his own, his own country. Right. Uh, Oh, my son just said bad word in the background. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Tom. I get passionate. Put a dollar in the par uh, swear <laughs> When we're talking about Belloc's betrayals. Yeah. Yeah, and him and Patricia Morris, she's also in a white suit, and um, they're, like, passing off a dossier of information. Um, there's a bunch of local um, Jordanians uh, uh, thundering through the ruins in their horses. Uh, and, yeah, there, there's... If there's a story, we don't know it. It doesn't matter. It's a heart-pounding and fun video. And, and, and Andrew Eldritch doing his cane dances in the caves is, is, uh, is absolutely iconic. You yeah, know what's much, also much, fun? Much like, much like uh, the corrosion. Real fast, Stephen. Uh, oh, what's also fun when you watch this video with Eric's wife, um, she'll actually do all of the hand gestures that both Patricia and Andrew do uh, during the key moments. Oh, it's, it's, so it's, it's so fun. It's yeah. so fun. Yeah. If you, if you, like, I encourage our listeners, uh, if you have an opportunity to drink with Eric's wife and you put this video yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll just sell, sell tickets yeah, and uh, you know, pay for the kids' Christmas presents. Yeah. Uh, if, you guys, if you guys think we talk about Eric's wife too much on this podcast, well, we don't talk about her enough, but it's twofold. Uh, one, it's just 
we, we about once a year she gives us a ton of ammo to use on eric when we get to hang out that's uh <laughs> like one, one, day, one day can be like you, you get a year's worth of ammo just from one day with the two of them and uh two i've just i i have this this fanfic that i've been writing for years where just uh, eric is the total subservient cuck husband to to heather and i don't think it's really true but again, that one day a year gives me just enough <laughs> breadcrumbs to concoct that story in my head. So it all I think just... uh, Steve put it best. He has like this VC Andrews uh, like novel in his head about their marriage. It's pretty great. Yeah. 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 It, it, it also, she's probably a fan of VC Andrews, so it all fits together very well. That's right. Oh, boy. Mark, you were talking about this, this song and how you like it. Uh, I mean, uh, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I love this song. Um, it is catchy as shit. I find myself um, just uh, doing what Eric just said in the land of the blind, uh, that king, king, king. Uh, I, the song is great. It is great. Even though there's not a whole lot going on here and you could probably say that a lot of these songs tend to stay a little bit too long yes um, but if you're into it you're you're okay with it and that could be a, a a detractor from the album as a whole of like they the songs tend to overstay their welcome but if you are comfortable living in the song you don't actually want to leave and i'm kind of in that latter category love that yeah, their songs are very, very catchy and very dark, but they are very repetitive. Um, maybe very repetitive, not uh, kind enough. Uh, but there were—I did check my watch in this album a few times. But we have the whole album to talk about. It's fine. This song though starts out the high point of the album for me. It's my favorite song in the album, hands down. Uh, I think it's the quality of the song more than it was my introduction to them. But I think it's—it's it's a great track. Um, it's just like Mark mentioned that reverby '80s guitar, that 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 gets that gets its hooks in you. It is very '80s. Anybody can play that that piece, but that doesn't mean that it's not perfect for this track. And the 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 choice of the overuse of just like a the the New York Choral Society on this track. Apparently, there's 40 people singing on this, and I'm not sure if that's true, but there's definitely a good enough range of voices doing the king, king, dominion stuff that that's fun. It kind of gives it a uh, cinematic, panoramic, as you said, vibe to it. Uh, it's, you know, yeah, the, the bass, the bass kind of sounds a little digital there. Uh, the, the, the drum machine is a drum machine. This album was pieced together on a computer, uh, apparently. Uh, a lot of it was instrumentation that was then pieced together electronically. And I will bring that up a few times on this album, uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Like real instruments recorded and then sequenced back. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, not to cut you off, but that saxophone part, like I don't see anyone on the credits actually playing saxophone. And I'm sure the three of us instantly just go to a Lost Boys situation well, yeah, we, we, on that saxophone. We, 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 I, I checked the I checked the liner notes for, for Tim Capello. And <laughs> unfortunately, friend of uh, our last podcast and of Tina Turner is nowhere to be found on this album. Uh, but the uh, the the fashion stylings of that movie are definitely all over this album. All over it. Yeah. Yeah. Were they on that? Was were Sisters of Mercy on that soundtrack, Eric? I don't know. <laughs> it would make sense. It would make sense. Yeah. But now the song overall, I it's just a very powerful sounding song. Uh, in the heat of the night, in the heat of the day, and this guy, there's various times in this album where he sounds like David Bowie on goth steroids, and I love oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and actually, speaking of which, this song was recorded at the Power Station, where Scary Monsters, among other Bowie songs, were recorded. That's a fun connection there. Uh, the name Dominion slash Mother Russia, it's a good name. And also, I mean, while we're here, why don't we talk about stopping the steel? Dominion. Those damn Dominion machines. <laughs> those, uh, those are really a lot of, I've been hearing a lot of bad stuff, guys. A lot of, but there's no way Biden got 80 million votes. It's those damn Dominion machines. That's right. Uh, Switching jobs. You know, every time I yeah. saw it said on a news thing, I, I couldn't help it. Dominion! Exactly. That's why I brought it up. I, I did the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, a powerful sounding song. Good opener to the album. Yeah. Really fun video. It shares a tie with Indiana Jones. Uh, lead singer looks like a complete uh, cokehead asshole. And... I don't know if he, if he really was, but I mean, what were we saying earlier about everybody that he kicks out of the band has uh, negative things to say about him. Uh, so I, I don't know. Yeah. But the song is a great song. Good opener. Top marks for Dominion. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, yeah, this is a, it doesn't get much better than this. It's a great opening. Um, <coughs> and uh, I, I do like the way it opens with this kind of post-apocalyptic vision and then it it smash cuts it into modern uh modern day um with the with the cold war stuff with with mother russia um yeah i don't really have a lot a lot you know to add i do love the i do love the production it is 80s um it has a little bit of edge to it um it is simple it has a little simplicity to it and um but his voice just that that echoey baritone is just lovely and it takes you it takes you on this um this journey and um yeah i did <laughs> the uh the you know someday someday dominion it's just so good it's just it's just gonna get in your head um and uh yeah that video is uh, you can't separate it it's 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 great look that up there were uh, two remixes to the song. Um, one song is called Sandstorm, and it's just the saxophone part kind of sh- shredding into the moonlight with a little synth behind it. But it is just that, sa- that sax rip- riff. And then there's a song called Untitled, which takes the melody of the song, slows it way down like halftime, drums and synth, and uh, the sax kind of shreds over it for two minutes. And uh, those are two little remixes that have showed up on things over the years. That's Dominion Mother Russia. I'm glad you guys like that one. It's a, it's a fun song. It's a classic. And that brings us to track two.
Flood one. has two flood songs on it and um they were both uh, essentially what eldritch has said over the years was that um <laughs> his quote for their songs about sex and he says most people only get wet under certain circumstances which <laughs> is kind of like i know what he's trying to say there but i mean people get wet when they rock in the rain also or when the sprinklers hit them but okay all right andrew um this uh with lyrics like um uh fitting in hard with harder to come trying to fight it down the river there's a ship will carry you down the river stream and her hallway as the rotters come rushing over come oh rushing. yeah i get it i get yeah. it man yeah yeah, yeah him, him and him and jazz coleman got together and had yeah. some uh, poetry sexy I, I, i'm sorry guys i'm trying to set the mood with you i don't know if you can tell but i'm I'm definitely trying to get set some spa time aside for the three of us and, and play uh, some of these. <laughs> the last, yeah, the Killing Joke episode, we were having to hear about the obsessions over the mound. Right. Now this. <laughs> yeah. uh, there is a, uh, this, this song, uh, it's six minutes, uh, six minutes long. Last one was seven minutes. I see what you're saying about some long songs. I didn't notice it on the last song. Um this song, this song goes on. Um, what do you guys think about Flood One, Steven? Yeah, it's long. It's too long. That's my first thoughts. This album's only forty-eight minutes long, and it could probably be, you could probably cut ten minutes though. And it, this right here, I think you could have on this track. But that doesn't mean that I don't like listening to this song. Uh, the vocals don't do a lot for me on this track. Because they're kind of buried in the mix a bit. And it happens a few times on this album. I don't know if that was intentional. Or maybe it was just the mix I was listening to. But there were a few... A few times on this album where the, the vocals were hard for me to, to pull out. They were buried under everything else. Uh, but some of the things that it is buried underneath is that this song has some Miami Vice like pulsing pulsing synths uh, that are that are kind of in the mix that I, I always dig that sound kind of like a bum 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 bump like a, a, st a stunner stun gun sound if you listen for it like set on low and that it also has a good uh, mix of lack of a better term. Like Eye of Osiris Egyptian synthesizers as well, which you're gonna find throughout this whole entire record. Is that the uh, the kind of horn synth that goes wah 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 yeah, wah exa wah exactly. wah Yeah, those are yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna find variations on that theme on this album, and uh, yeah, eventually the guitars kind of get into the mix a bit more, and the song fleshes out more as it goes on. Kind of sneaks up on you. The song has subtle a subtle build to it. It's more of a 
feeling than uh, than uh, a drive for this track. It's pretty good. That's nice. my thought out. Nice. Bargain. <clears throat> so I get some Haunted House vibes with this one. Um, it's got some drama and tension with the kind of synth stabs. I think the Eye of Osiris is a better way to describe that sound rather than the, the stabbing of the synths. Um, but it it sounds like something is going to leap out of the shadows, definitely with the foreboding and the, the drum machine, old Dr. Avalanche, is a little high up in the mix. Um, and yeah, I absolutely picked up on the metaphor for sex. Um, as it being something kind of ominous. Uh, I, I, I do like this track. Um, it is one of those that... See, the, the thing with this album, I think if you listen to it thinking, expecting like maybe three and a half, four minute songs and in just going on to the next thing, you're going to have a bad time. I think you really do have to kind of get lost in what was going on here. And I do like kind of the the droney instrumentation and where it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. It just feels melodic at the same time and atmospheric. And um, just I really enjoy so far of what I'm being served. Um, but I understand like that, that necessary need to like, all right, what's next? Um, you know, in these first two tracks, I'm getting hints of like early KMFDM and even some like uh, Nihil or yeah, uh, era KMFDM where they're using a little bit more instrumentation and melody um, rather than just name checking what band they're in. Um, it brings me good memories and it, it fits right into that kind of, I, yes, this band is a goth rock band. That's you can't deny it with the spooky baritone vocals and the um, high drama synthesizers really like propelling the message. Um, but I, I do enjoy it. I, I do really like this track. It's not my favorite track on the record, but I understand what he's trying to achieve He's going for a motif. He's going for um, a reoccurring theme that just keeps coming back. And I, I do appreciate. And one thing that is worth noting, every song on this album, and it becomes evident as uh, Dominion Mother Russia ends, Flood One begins, all the songs flow into each other. Yeah. Um, and I, I do appreciate that. It's all one piece. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in your camp, uh, Mark. I... I think like list, listing all these songs out, this isn't going to jump out as a strong track and it probably does go on too long, but um, I get, I do get into the groove of the song. I, um, like I said, if you go in with that, that kind of expectation, you're just going to kind of get lost in the world of this album. Um, I think this is effective. It's, we always talk about a great track too, as you take it down a notch and this really is, this does, it slows down, but Dr. Avalanche gets to be big and booming. And that kind of gives you this kind of driving, clotting beat and um i do love those uh those uh eye of 
<laughs> Icarus or whatever, whatever you guys were saying. The eye, that, that kind of Egyptian uh, Wawa. The Eye of Osiris yes. or something like yeah. that. You know? Yeah, I do, I do love it. His vocals are not engaging in the song, and maybe that's the point. Because usually he's not afraid to, to, to grab your attention with his vocals. So it clearly, I, mean, I believe that's, 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 that's uh, intentional on his part in this, is just to kind of use his vocals maybe more as, a, more as an instrument than as, the, as a storytelling device. Um, uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I do get caught in a groove. I mean, six minutes is a long, is a long track. Uh, that for, for for something that doesn't have necessarily a lot of rising action or, or go anywhere. But um, that being said, like if I check my watch once, I'll just get caught in the groove and then it'll be over and, and uh, I won't have regretted sticking around for the trip. Um, it's got a, it's got a very pleasant, pleasant melody. Uh, I'll be at haunting and kind of spooky. Um, but they're about to pick up the pace a little bit, a bit with uh, one of their, their second single off the album, uh, track three, Lucretia, My Reflection. Today, some leftover ham. Oh, there you go. All right. So, Lucretia. Hey, hey, hey before Lucretia is the next song. Yes. Uh, before we get to the next song, I'd, li I'd like to go on record because we we're always able to figure out all the bad things that happen. And I just wanted to uh, say that I was very overjoyed this weekend, where we were able to, um, through various means, acquire. Uh, hearing aids for my four month old who has a mild hearing loss. And it was a four month like process to get these hearing aids because they're not covered by insurance and we pulled it off. So uh, myself and my wife are very happy this weekend for our little kid. That's awesome. No, that's, that's great awesome. news. That's awesome. I like the video you posted is little uh, face lighting up and yeah, it's going to be a, it's gonna be a a whole new whole new world for him. It's awesome. Yeah, he's he's louder now all of a sudden because I guess he can he, <laughs> apparently he can hear himself better now, and so he's like yelling louder because he's like, "Whoa, what's that sound?" It said, uh, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." That, that, that suddenly, I'm 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 not doubting that we should have done it, but uh, yeah, he's uh, I didn't realize <laughs> that he was he was holding himself back, and now he's full blast, full throated, taking full advantage now. Anyways, uh, that's Great. out of nowhere. That's that's your out of nowhere moment of sunshine. So next track is what, Eric? Lucretia, my reflection. So uh, Andrew Eldritch uh, referred to Patricia as his Lucretia type person, and yeah, expecting everybody to know what that means. <laughs> but that's a uh, character. If you look it up, Lucrezia uh, Borgia. Um, 
she was a noble woman in the Italian Renaissance uh, that apparently like just kind of like a folk legend um, that she, I mean, she's a real person, but there's been a lot of folk tales about her. Um, uh, you know, beautiful, seductive, married three times, which was very controversial back then. And um, apparently was responsible for the deaths of um, uh, many of the rivals to her power. So maybe other women or, or whatever. So uh, that, that was at least the reputation, something about that uh, he connected to Patricia. But um, if you look at the lyrics, um, he's setting up this kind of, this very meta metaphor. Um, it does open with another iconic opening. I hear the roar of a big machine, two worlds and in between, hot metal and methadrine. I hear empire down. And uh, the empire that's falling is what the band was, Sisters of Mercy. And uh, Patricia is this kind of hope for the future. So it's this empire falling, but there, there's hope. And that's her. So it's a, it is a definite, um, the song is a tribute to her, at least the time he really felt like, like uh, she was at least giving him a new direction to take the band that gave him hope for the, for where the music could go. So uh, very meta, meta concept, but um, that's what it's about. Uh, Mark, what do you think about Lucretia? I think it's a song that's um, really propelled by that great baseline riff. Um, I mean, in all intents and purposes, it essentially is the Patricia Morrison theme song in terms of how she fits in to Sisters of Mercy and how essentially that they seem to be branching out into this new direction as a twosome. Um, but yes, sure, in my mind, it sounds like a Billy Idol song dressed in black satin. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to knock it down for that. I think that chorus is undeniable. Um, it is a very, very catchy song. Um, it's a little bit more, uh, radio friendly, I'd say. The video is, uh, kind of bonkers. It seems like they're going through a factory or some sort. And, uh, uh, Andrew is walking around with no shirt on and a leather jacket and uh, wielding a, like a PVC pipe or something. He's always got something in his hand. He didn't have his cane this time, I guess. He just, yeah, <laughs> hit a piece of <laughs> yes, he's, material. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always do appreciate a man in aviators. Uh, that's why I voted for Joe Biden after all. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a good song. Um, I honestly have nothing bad to say about it other than, yes, it is of the time. It is of the time. And uh, you can kind of tell based on the production work. Uh, but it's good. Yeah.
here for Probably my second favorite song in the album. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that as a metalhead, as a Judas Priest diehard, songs that make me think of motorcycles, even though I've never ridden one, are big, <laughs> I'm a big fan of them. And the whole, you know, uh, the, the, the roar of a big machine line, it just kind of, it kind of has this like, you know, I know it's kind of about Patricia Morrison, but it definitely has this whole like hop on this, hop on this Harley and let's ride away vibe to it. And uh, you, you'll find you'll find some of that in some of your your gothy industrial songs as well. Um, and I, you know, the we got the kingdom, we got the key. That, that, that again, it's that very deep, powerful singing to eternity rafters stuff that I dig on this record. Uh, yeah, that, that bass line it, it gets stuck in your head. I can hear it right now with with Mark even bringing it up. It's it's a, it's a dancey groover. You can. You can snap your fingers to this track, I think. Uh, it's just kind of a sexy little song. And, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, it's it, it, it was a second single, another video. Uh, obviously didn't have the production of uh, Dominion. Um, but uh, this is interesting. It is what, what would Andrew and Larry Alexander do with a single without Jim Steinman's um, overdubs and all that. And this is, this is that, this is, this is kind of like, you know, so it, it definitely is, is pared down a little bit more. Well, um, it kind of goes, it kind of goes back to sounding like a cult song. Right. This is right. be a cult song. Yeah. Uh, that baseline though is, is, is an all timer. Um, and I mean, you know, it is a metal, I mean, a meta song about his band falling apart and equating it to an empire, but but then giving hope to this new person. I think it's sweet in that way. Um, as, at least, you know, with the exception of maybe one more song here about as sweet as as Andrew Eldritch gets, because he's usually pretty cynical. Um, and, uh, uh, but yeah, this, this yeah, this, this would be a banger. This would absolutely be an 80s banger. Um, I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed it at least, at least you know, for entertainment value, um, for sure. And we learned a little history too. Now we know who Lucrezia Borgia is. Um, uh, there is a remix called "Long Train," which is it's almost like a dub remix. Uh, it takes that bass line and then um, just does all of the kind of scraps uh, of the other instruments that kind of pop in and pop out um, over it. Uh, and find that on some of the And that brings us to uh, the ballad of the album, 1959. So 1959 is a pretty stripped down song. It's just Andrew and a piano. 
Um, and what this song is about, um, you know, it's living as an angel in the place I was born, living on air, living in heaven, and I know which way the wind blows in 1959. Um, he's claimed it's about um, innocence inherited. Um, so like, the world's not innocent, but you feel like, in, you know, growing up in the suburbs with privilege, you feel, you feel like you, you're innocent, even though the world's not. And the Which Way the Wind Blows is thought to be a reference to a animated film from 1980, uh, let's see here, it's a 1982 book and it was made into a film in 86 called The Wind Blows. Yeah, we talked about that one with the David Bowie season. Yep, you got it, exactly. Yeah, yeah about the... Uh, Childlike innocence. Um, uh, meanwhile, it's like nuclear holocaust outside. Um, so, and that would fit thematically into the rest of this album with a lot of that that, that anxiety, that Cold War anxiety. Um, so, uh, Steve, what do you think about 1959? It's a great prequel to a Smashing Pumpkins song. <laughs> Twenty years uh, early. Yeah. Right. I like I like the song. It um, this is actually the song. I mentioned this to you guys. This album kind of reminds me of Early Pig. Mark brought up Kevin FDM earlier, but Early Pig albums have, of course, this deep baritone, but also an attempt at orchestration with limited production. And on this track, this piano, which is just the sound of a piano that was pieced together with the sequen sequencer, as we discussed before. Mm -hmm. Kind of sounds a little processed, a little tinny, but they're still going. They want you to make. They want you to feel like you know he's sitting at a at a, a grand piano singing the song, but the way they put it together, kind of a hurts that image a little bit. I don't know if that's on purpose or if it's just a a side effect, but I mean that piano actually that actually reminds me of a lot of a a lot of mid 90s to early o's black metal bands would always try to have some kind of song that made you feel the loneliness of the cold black winters and the piano tone always sounded just off to me very similar to this track uh i'm just bringing that up because there's a connection there of a i've heard this type of piano before um but that doesn't make me not like this track i'm actually a fan of this song i think it's a good ballad and I'd like to know who Isabel is. Eric, who's Isabel? I don't know. I well, do. she's, brought, she's brought up in the air, or Mark might know. Uh, apparently, this is a sequel to a song called After Hours. I never even heard that song, but that might hold the answer to who Isabel is. I'm not sure. So, what I heard was this girl named Isabel wrote Andrew and suggested he just record a song just with piano and voice. And that was the inspiration for this song. Oh, cool. Um, and I, I guess I'll go ahead and talk about my thoughts if Steve is uh, done with his. You, you may take over. All right. So here is essentially the slowest part of the album um, in terms of the pace and the strip down. Um, I put it in my notes, uh, Dracula singing a ballad. <laughs> <laughs> And, and um, I'm pretty proud of that uh, that characterization. Um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, he was born in 1959, and obviously, he's talking about uh, the innocence of child and everything like that. Um, 
the song doesn't really do it for me. I, I did watch the video and that video is also pretty stripped down. Um, I do have to give credit to the fact that like it sounds like him just had a grand piano, but he didn't even touch a piano key when he, and when he actually wrote this, it was just all computer sequence, like you guys had said. So I, I tip my hat for that, um, I guess, approach to it. Um, but yeah, I just, I, this is the song I really can't get into. Um, I'd say this is my lone song on here that I'm just looking at my watch, waiting for the next one. Yeah, I, it does do something for me. Um, and, but I, but I think that that's the, despite the fact that the piano, it is sequenced. It does sound fake as hell. Um, it's looped. It's, it's probably you were plugged in, which, which, you know, <laughs> which notes were going to be played into a computer and then just put that on loop. Um, and which doesn't bother me, obviously I listen to a lot of sequenced music, but um, you know, usually you have something else on top of it and it that doesn't happen yet. Despite all that, it is Andrew being more vulnerable than he lets himself be on most of this, this record. And I think there's something to that. I do get some, I didn't get pig vibes, but I do see what you're saying, Steve. I did get some like Nick Cave vibes and not, not even that his voice sounds like Nick Cave, but just that kind of moment. Uh, um, uh, as far as talking about two things at the same time, innocence, but then, you know, when a child can be innocent, but the world's not. And that kind of, you know, the, I just, I, I feel like that could be, Maybe some Nick Cave subject matter. Yeah, subject um, matter could be, but just the uh, even Nick Cave at his most '80s production never sounded this. Uh, I I I don't know. Amateurist is not the word that I'm looking for here, but this whether it's on purpose or not, this track sounds underproduced. Yeah, yeah. And, no, you're you right. Know. You're right. No, and he would be playing a piano live, and um, you would be able to tell if it was Nick Cave. I'm just saying that kind of one little that little moment of tenderness in the middle of the, of the record, it does it for me. Um, it's still maybe longer than it needs to be at four minutes, um, but four minutes, 10 seconds, but um, it, it, it does work for me. And I like what it's about. Like a little child, like another gun, like homeless restless gnomes. But that, that is our little break before we flip the disc over and we get another Jim Steinman produced track of their third single off this album, This Corrosion. listening to is this corrosion by the sisters of mercy and it's december 30th 2020 we are in the cold grasp of winter i am of course 
Ghastly Gus, and you are listening to the Mausoleum Music Show, your one-stop shop for goth rock talk. I'm broadcasting live from my tomb, spinning you the freakish fishnet follies of your favorite gothic laments and melodies. And I'm here to celebrate 34 years of one of our genre's greatest albums, the Sisters of Mercy's Bloodland. And here to celebrate it with me is none other than Sister of Mercy's drummer, Dr. Avalanche. Dr. Avalanche, welcome to the show. Paging Dr. Avalanche. <laughs> hey, listen, we gotta know. Are you a practicing medical doctor or is that just a PhD? I'm kidding, of course. We all know it's an honorary title. Dr. A, you play quite wonderfully over the course of Floodland. You, it's almost robotic how you keep perfect rhythm, time, and timbre. I've got to ask you, what was the hardest song to play on Floodland? 1959, you kidder, you're not even on there. <laughs> so you've been the longest member to stay in the band without getting fired by Andrew or suing him. Uh, would you say he's one of your closest friends? Oh, looks like I touched on a sore spot there. Sorry, Dr. A. Hey, listen, let's change. Instead of getting personal, why don't we play a bit of a game I like to play with my guests? Let's jam a little bit. I'm going to lay down a melody. Here's how we play. I'm going to start playing a melody, and when I tell you to, you're going to lay down a beat. All right, ready? Here I go. But your radio rock has spit in the dust It ain't got danger or mystique No atmosphere and it ain't got teeth So if it ain't dark, I don't wanna hear it I'ma shut up now so Avalanche can tear it This segment of the Mausoleum Music Hour has been brought to you by Pod Like a Hole. Go to patreon.com slash pod like a hole If you wanna send a few bucks to the guy's way Give him a little tip uh, Say thank you for reviewing amazing albums Like Floodland all right, Dr. Avalanche, uh, you better write me a prescription. I'm about to get there and infect verse two. Dr. A? Oh, you, you had another, uh, I see. You had another booking right after this one. Uh, could hang a little bit longer? It's fine. All right, let's get back to this commercial. So this corrosion, uh, wow! Um, just a little background on the song here. Um, all right, let's start with what it's about. Uh, this corrosion was meant. This is like the mo most epic and ultimate diss track of all time. Uh, Eldritch wrote this as to make fun of uh, Gary. What's his name? Uh, the guy. Uh, yeah, Gary Marks' lyric writing style. As I've said before, his Mission UK, some of his lyrics have been kind of put under the microscope for being ridiculous. And that's like, this was meant to be a complete parody of his writing style. Um, uh, where uh, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And it's a bunch of uh, just kind of uh, just ri ridiculous 
concepts and phrases here and there. Um, Eldritch said it didn't have to have any meaning. It just needed to sound good. Um, there's talk of like a ring and kissing a ring and paying tolls. Um, and uh, th there's not, you know, there's not much to it except um, that it's, it's basically making fun of um, his, his, his previous co-collaborators and it's an epic 10 minute, nine, nine minute and 16 second song. Um, it is, it's, there was a meeting with the producers at Warner about this song. And um, the record company said, oh, well, it's going to cost $50,000. That's not bad for an album. And uh, somebody said, no, 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 that's, that's for one song. And that's for this corrosion. <laughs> Between the uh, Jim Steinman, like bringing the chorus in again, bringing in uh, Martinez on guitar. And then of course that music video, which is on a back lot somewhere and looks like um, Mad Max meets Blade Runner. Um, this is a overblown song to say the least. And let's hear what Steve has to say about this corrosion. Yeah, this is their most well-known song, don't you think? Or between this and Dominion, yeah. 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 This this one, it's a great catchy song, and. Uh, and I believe this was the one that he recorded under the sisterhood name as well as a precursor, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. And yeah, so they brought in, they brought in the, the bat out of hell guy. And you feel him all over this song. This is definitely, on Dominion, you're, you're kind of getting that big orchestra, uh, choir vibe. On this one, it's right in your face. And, uh, and, he, and he even said that he, he didn't even know why they had so many people on this record. Uh, he couldn't even tell one from the other, but he said, why not? You know, it's, it's, it, it apparently it's going to work for us. And I, I'd really like it. I, I love the overblownness of this track. I think it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I could use maybe, even though it goes on for 11 minutes and yes, I wish the song was half the length it is. I'm sorry. Uh, I could use a five minute version and um, yeah, I'm sure there is some edited versions that Eric will tell us about, but even, uh, amongst they, they do a good job of there's a couple of different vocal stylings, but I would have liked a bit more uh, variations of the choir, like some more solos, like people busting out and maybe getting a little bit more church choir on it. And, uh, you know, like somebody just busting out and being like, corrosion or something, you know, I don't know. I, I, I could just, uh, I could go for a few more versions of the choir differentiating differentiating themselves from each other but uh, overall i think it's it's a great song and yeah some of those lyrics you were saying they're they're like aimed at old bandmates there's a particular line that I, I looked at that giving out and in selling the don't belong what do you say do you have a word for giving away got a song for me uh, that definitely sounds like it's leveled right at his one of the old his old partners oh yeah um and yeah, you you know this 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 one has that the guitar solo from uh, the Eddie Martinez yep. from Addicted to Love. Yep.
and that, that's fun. And yeah, you can't, you just can't deny the, the hey now, hey now, sing along vibe to this track. It's <laughs> really, Uncle Tobias is down home feel good band. Yeah, yeah, it really gets 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 stuck in your head. Yeah, and I, I it was so, I guess it was so popular with some people that, uh, that in the movie the uh, the world's end, they decided to make it the theme song for Simon Pegg's character. He does. He does wear a Sisters of Mercy shirt in that movie with a big trench coat. He's yeah, it's great. Pops up a couple of times, and yeah, he was kind of a stuck in the stuck in his heyday guy. So basically, his heyday was uh, the goth years of the early '90s for him. Yeah, yeah. That's Good track. Uh, very, you know, the, the very. I'll let you go on about the the video, but I I think it's a it's a high watermark on this record. <laughs> Yeah, you can really tell that this song was uh, essentially designed to be the centerpiece of the record. Um, just, uh, it's a focal point. There's no doubt. Um, I do enjoy the fact that it starts out with a bombastic kind of can't always get what you want choral section before breaking into this kind of 80s movie going into the city montage. Um, and then it has I think at his most Bowie-esque vocal performance on this track and I was always under the impression that it wasn't um, I guess uh, pointed at Gary Marks I think that's who you said but more so Wayne Hussey yeah I think I got the name wrong it was one of one of his collaborators whoever went on to write lyrics for the mission yeah yeah because I think Wayne Hussey was the lead singer of the mission and um, I enjoy Andrew Eldridge essentially saying it's about the idiots full of sound and fury. Uh, people who miss the point. It's also stupidly over the top bombastic, but rightly so. It's about people who sing about the revolution while selling it short. Um, and, you know, seeing this corrosion to me, it's very meta in that sense, in terms of the lyrics. Um it's got a sense of humor to it, which I didn't think that Sisters of Mercy so far <laughs> on this record really yeah. haven't been employing whatsoever. Sure. It's been pretty serious. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I do appreciate that, that level of humor and kind of um, self-awareness a little bit. Um, it's a good track. Yes, it's 11 minutes, uh, but the sing-along aspect, like Steve was saying, um, it you kind of get lost in it. It works for me. Um, I'm sure that when you, uh, this is probably a live staple whenever they do play live, um, I'm sure it gets the crowd going. It's, it's, very, it's very anthemic and it's done in the right way. Not to, not to connect it to, a, to an, another Nick Cave thing, because I really don't, think there's a similar sound but it does remind me of that that song off the uh, nocturama babe i'm on fire that goes on for 
like 17 minutes 17 I think, minutes on that one. And, yeah. and these little short verses and then this like repetitive the same kind of chorus yeah. um that uh you know you could maybe nickel and dime the verses but those choruses just they get you get stuck in your head and then you might get bored for two seconds and then the chorus will hit again you're like oh there i am again i'm back up i'm back up yeah. for the whole thing um and it, you know i i call it overblown and repetitive and long and i those things may be true but that doesn't change the fact like steve said that um it still it gets your hooks in you and it's 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 a it's a fun one um yeah on days like this on times like these i feel like an animal deep inside uh i just i like how his delivery also intensifies there is a little bit of rising action the verses start out his verse singing is kind of uh sterile in the beginning and then the hooks get you but then his verses get a little bit more intense as it goes on um which i as a, is a credit to his scene it's great did you guys watch the video to the song yeah, yeah. that yeah. one's that one's cool because it is like you know, people have like these spiked jackets and they're living in this like uh, under the bridge kind of Mad Max uh, futuristic society. I mean, there's no story to it. It's just it's just a cool, cool image. And him doing some more cane work in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really likes to have something in his in his hand as he twirls it like a bow, like he got it from Donatello. Yep. That's right. Uh, so yeah, this is yeah. I mean, it's 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 a big one. Uh, as far as other versions go, there isn't a shorter edited version. There's actually a couple. There's a there's like the full length one over ten minutes. There's a nine minute one, which was I think is on the maybe the CD version, and then there was a shorter edit for the single. And um, Andrew actually wanted to put the shorter version on the album, but just for his production company said you had to do the you had to use the full one to fill up the whole album so i guess it worked better for like how they you know how much time you need on each side of a, of a record so uh, he actually wanted to go with the shorter one but he got nixed on that one so uh that's this corrosion and that brings us up to flood two two is more sexy time uh more talk about her hallway moving like the ocean moves um but then it's got a little bit more emotion to it uh she says no harm will come your way she says bring it on down bring the wave she says nobody done no harm grace of god raise your arms um she says face it it's a place to stay and yeah it's about it's about sex but it's about the kind of the comfort that comes with that and maybe it's about love as well um so, uh, Mark, what do you think about Flood 2? 
I like this one. I think the acoustic guitar kind of gives it a little different flavor to this version. Um, it has a really catchy synth line uh, that's in my mind. Uh, it's it, the melody is not the same, but I think I'm more attributing it to how the synth sounds. And back in the eighties, uh, when sting went solo, he had this album called dream of the blue turtles. And on Ooh. that, album was a song called the russians season dad, four <laughs> exactly my dad used to play that um he had the vinyl and he burned it on cassette and i remember him playing the shit out of that uh it's not a great song but i'm not gonna talk about sting it just reminds me of that 80s synth work um it's a bit more polished and focused on this version of flood 2 um yeah, good song, good track, reminiscent of Flood One, but with just a little bit more uh, spit shine to it. Yeah. Blood 2, Splashdown Boogaloo. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know this song's got some, like, Depeche Mode synths going for it. That, that, that dun, dun, that early dun, 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 dun. I don't know how else to put it. Reminds me of early Depeche Mode synths. And uh, it's my, I, I would rather, I like them both, but I prefer Flood 2 to Flood 1. The rare occurrence where the sequel is better than the original. Uh it kind of it kind of goes on and on for a while, uh, for you know almost seven minutes, but I wouldn't kick the keyboard loops out of bed. I like it. I, I, I this song appeals to me, and it can stick around as long as it wants. Uh, I mean, and that's even despite the fact that it has a really boring ass drum beat. Uh, Doctor Av- Avalanche must be hung over that day <laughs> because it's it's not it's not doing much drum wise, but. The, the whole, the electric atmosphere with the, yes, back to the eye of Osiris or eye of Horus, whatever the hell the proper terminology is, I'm really feeling it. So I, I like I like the world that this song paints. I, I dig Flood too. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. This one is, I think, a, a, an improvement on the first Flood. Um, well, I did like the atmosphere of that one. This one has more drive to it. Um the vocals have a cool echo effect on them and um the synth i think it has some of the best synth work on the album uh just kind of the synth kind of ripping all over all over the song um so yeah i don't have a lot a lot more to add to that uh i think you guys uh nailed it um definitely definitely an improvement as it as we're bringing up the tail end of this album uh that brings us to driven like the snow
Driven Like the Snow is a, um, actually, Andrew Eldred said this was essentially a sequel to um, Nine While Nine, which is off First, Last, and Always. And it was written about a former girlfriend. Um, and uh, he thought that, you know, he, he felt like he wanted to write a song about why the relationship ended. And um, he, uh, it starts with, uh, you know, still night, nothing for miles, white curtain come down, kill the lights in the middle of the road, um, which is another reference to a Leonard Cohen song, master song um, that kill the lights in a lonely lane. And um, it, he's, he's talking about, you know, be, being stuck in a snowstorm in your car, taking a minute and, and deciding to drive fast and drive rec recklessly. And the song is basically, you know, relationships bad for you, but you do it anyways. Turning your lights off while you're driving in the snow um, is, is, is the metaphor he's using. Um, it's got a cold synth sound, a warm bass riff. And um, this is essentially, it's not the closing, but it's like a, it's the final full song we get on this, on this album proper. Um, so Steve, what do you think, what do you think about Driven Like the Snow? I like this track quite a bit. Um, I, I it, it has a, the first minute or so, there's not really any instrumentation going on. They're just kind of leaning on some kind of a, a synth, synth machine making like a fog of just blah, setting setting the stage making you feel like maybe you're driving through the snow i don't know it might be some theater of the mind going on there but some some really electro sounding bass moves in right around the minute mark and pushes the song a bit further down the road uh again with with the lyrics here and you know and the car is lost in the drift are those and the people that drive lost in the drift are there and the cares I've lost in the drift are there. There's ours lost in the drift are, 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 are driven, driven together and driven apart. So that's, there's poetry in the song, obviously. And uh, I, I'd say that the, Romantic leanings reflecting upon a relationship that fell apart and the music go well together. I think all of it really would work very well if it wasn't for the fucking lyrics being buried so deep in the mix again. Uh, I, I feel that these are probably my favorite lyrics on the album. They're very gothy lyrics, very forlorn, and he sings them in his David Bowie vampire voice. But I just, I struggled to actually hear the words on this track they're buried under everything else and that is a detriment um good good intent uh not flawless execution
Um, I, again, um, I, I'll agree with Steven um, on a lot of his points that he had made. Um, the bass playing on this track has a little bit of funk thrown in, um, which I, I swear I'm hearing a little bit of like slap or pop mm. in that mm. bass playing. Um, I think that uh, this is definitely their uh, very foreboding song and any song that really incorporates any sort of paleness or whiteness of snow. I always think of like, you know, some Lestat rock nonsense. Um, you know, that's my shorthand for, for goth rock and, you know, just pale skin and uh, lipstick on cigarettes. Um, the, uh, fuck me and marry me young line, uh, <laughs> that also incorporates this. It's, I subscribe to all of it though. Um, I, I, it's like if typo negative decided to not be a metal band and be a synth band is where I'm feeling this song. Mm. Um, and you know, it's got that foreboding synth. Uh, it truly seems to be like the penultimate song that, uh, it's doing the job that it's intended to do to close it out. Um, I do agree with Steven though. Like if I don't have the lyrics in front of me, it's hard to understand what Andrew is saying. A lot of bands of my favorite bands tend to do that where they're challenging the listener to listen closer and in order to really understand what's going on rather than um, just having it all laid out there clearly for you to hear. It's like watching a Christopher Nolan movie sometimes. You have to really listen for the audible dialogue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it's a, it's a fine song. Fine. It's it's great. Uh, I w it's good. It's good. Not great. It's not like an instant classic. So uh, um, I'm enjoying it, though. Yeah, I... I didn't. I didn't mark a note down about the vocals in this one. Like I, I did notice it in some earlier tracks, um, but uh, you know, I, I do get your point because there are bands that they purposely obscure their vocals. A lot of music I like does that, um, but it's weird that there would be you know half songs that it's clear as day, and then half songs where it's obscured. It's you know what I mean. Like if you know you're getting into an album where it's it's obscured like, I mean, like Uncle Acid or something like that, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's one thing, but then when you don't know what you're going to get on each track, I, I do get your point. Um, but, uh, I do like this song as far as creating a mood goes. I think this is the most successful one on the album, just creating that really like midnight on an icy snowy road. Um, that's the metaphor for the relationship, but they paint that picture very well. Um, I think it's a really cool song and, um, yeah, I'm with you guys. I like, there's these cool bridges that happen two or three times throughout the song where the synths, they, it's like a really fragile string synth that's happening that I really enjoy. Um, and I do love that little bass, whatever that bass thing is doing is it works on the song. The closer on the album proper, we will talk about some of the bonuses that were tagged on. If you were listening to the CD version, there's some tracks after this and I'll talk about them, but uh, the, the, the closer proper is Neverland, a fragment.
Um, so Neverland, a fragment, it's called a fragment because there was a full version of the song. There was a 12 minute version of the song. Um, that's pretty epic, but obviously there was already a lot of long songs and the production company would rather have taken the full version of this corrosion than the full version of this song. So it was, it was whittled down to a two minute track, shortest song on the album. Um, and uh, the description of the song is very, very similar to a conversation in uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me that was sampled in LP's, uh, uh, what, uh, his Tasmanian uh, roller coaster song. Do you think that if you were falling in space, you would slow down after a while or go faster and faster? What Andrew said about this is I had a vision. You know, in the summer, if you lay on the grass and stare at the sky, you can almost see beyond the stars, but cannot quite grip on what's there. Well, sometimes it's very difficult to work out exactly what that is. It keeps you pressed between earth and the sky and why you don't just whoosh off into oblivion. Neverland is coming about this the other way. The entire population of earth starting to travel for some indefinable point in space towards the earth at increasing speed. It would take an eternity to reach earth by the time you'd be spiritualized and even when you reach the destination you wouldn't actually hit the ground you'd be going so fast you just go through it and out the other side um into the eternity and an eternity of nothingness and that's what the song's about um so so mark what do you think about neverland uh, the drums are what i like to refer to as barrel of the gun drums uh that's probably from the beastie boys song which essentially was a sample of john bonham's um when the levee breaks i mean those are just some heavy ass drums <laughs> yeah absolutely. yeah um I, I'm really, uh, I enjoy this little fragment of the song. I do also enjoy the uh, the full length that you can find on the bonus uh, track version of this album. Um, the bonus track version kind of sounds like an unfinished demo. This is just kind of taking the highlights of that song. Um, the real strong melody that essentially permeates throughout the full length. But really like how the song fades out. And the synthesizers really are playing off the beat of the drums. Um, pretty straightforward song. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I like that it gives you just a little taste, but probably for the better that they just created a fragment to close out the, so uh, to close out the album rather than try to just prolong the inevitable as if you're not really digging the length of these songs, I think it's important to just finish strong off of the uh, a melody and a beat that is pretty uh, pretty catchy and pretty uh, uh, recognizable I'd say Steve yeah the, the true end of the album here this is actually where I will just listen to the two of you talk for the next what three songs um, my, my, my album ended here and that's where I, I finished my notes. Um, again, this one has some more of that really processed bass sound. And it's not a detriment. It just stands out to me. But there's also these ice synths, the good old 
ice synths that we have on some of our favorite records. And I, it paints, a, again, it, and I use this phrase again to describe this album. It, it paints like a, a mood more so than anything. Um, I think that's what they were going for. An ominous kind of a, uh, uh, if you're listening to The Fragile, it ends with that uh, Decay song, which is quite a long song, but has a, an era, or I'm sorry, a vibe of like ambiguity to it. I think they were going for that on this. I think there there could be a version of this album where maybe a couple other tracks are trimmed out a little bit. Um, and the full version of this could have been redone to match the production because Mark's right, it does sound like a demo. Um, and I do like it. I, I, I think it has some of the most mature compositions on the album, most thoughtful compositions. Um, and I like, you know, I like what it's about. This album is about a lot of ends, things ending, empires ending. And this is kind of different. This is kind of, uh, you know, your soul ending in, in the oblivion of space. And it's, it's a cool kind of brainy, heady concept. Um, uh, but given all that, that is not the album we got where those other songs trimmed down. This is those songs played and I enjoy those. And for that, we get this as a little fragment. And Mark's right; it hits the it hits the best, it hits the mood just right, and that's all you get. And maybe it's better for it. I, I we'll never know. Um, but uh, if you get a chance to, to check out that demo, there there this song does go cool places. Um, but uh, so wait, we 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 will know though. I mean, there's a full length Neverland, is there not? There is, but but Mark's right; it's not as produced as this one. It's 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 uh, it's a little bit more of a demo. Um, so maybe you can see where it would go, but it doesn't necessarily catch, catch, capture the mood as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think that of all the, you know, of all the, these, uh, extended versions, that's the one to check out though. Cause it's still, it still is nice. It still is very nice. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the closer of the album. And I like that they, they kind of expand their focus from things on earth ending to kind of more, a more galactic ending. Um, and that, that ends that. Uh, it does go on to a couple bonus tracks. Um, there was a song called Torch. That was added, it was a B-side to, uh, I believe, uh, This Corrosion. Um, this song was uh, Eldritch just did the whole thing himself. And it's a lot of like really big, thick uh, acoustic guitars kind of strumming as, as he's singing. Um, it's not very, it's one of the worst produced of the B-sides that I've heard, uh, but his vocals sound great. It sounds almost like a bard's mandolin. Uh, Mark, did you listen to Torch? Yeah, I just thought it was okay. Um, it seems a little unfinished. Um, it, kind of felt like a just a standard goth rock song that any generic band could potentially produce it seemed like um like almost like a forgotten joy division song um and you could definitely hear where it sounds like andrew's trying to channel ian curtis on this one um sure i i yeah I, that's I, fair i didn't feel it as much it, w it was a uh um if the original band had stayed together their second album was going to be called Left on Mission and Revenge. 
and uh, and that they scrapped that, and and then he he did he did Floodland, but this was going to be a song for that. So that's that was taken from the kind of demo session sessions of that album. <clears throat> um, I don't disagree with you, uh, but then there was a song called Colors, uh, which was a uh, gift, which was a gift song that was repurposed for this, and uh, this was on some releases of this, like uh, this was actually put in the lineup as a official song on the album, not so much a bonus track um, on, on some of the releases. got some great ambient synth uh dr avalanche is doing some kind of like uh, minimalist tribal stuff um and uh yeah there's some great like you will reap what you sow singing uh, uh mark what do you think about this one yeah i'm a big fan of this one um i remember it randomly came on when i was at work uh at the record store back in the day and it uh it definitely made my ears perk up it sounds like uh, if you're watching a trailer for like a Blade Runner type movie where the voiceover is in the future, man is rendered obsolete or something yeah. like that. Sure. Some other tagline. Sure. Yeah. Um, it really does that for me. The minimalism and uh, the excellent synth work is really makes the song shine. And especially that like kind of tribal drum beat. I, I do enjoy the song quite a bit. Yeah, this is a this is a top notch bonus track as far as I'm concerned as well. It adds a nice. An, it, I I can see why they picked this one um, to to put on some of the releases and kind of squeeze it into the lineup. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. Glad you like that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, there was one cover that's also added as a bonus. It's a cover of the band Hot Chocolate, and the song is called Emma. cover uh i i I like um i can see why they were a massive cover band like they were really known for that early on because it's just fun to hear andrew sing these like maybe unconventional choices um i prefer like the rolling stones cover they do the give me shelter but this one's cool um but i I think this sent you down a bit of a rabbit hole didn't it mark yeah i mean um i became familiar with more hot chocolate. I mean, we've all heard You Sexy Thing. I think that was featured in Boogie Nights and pretty sure. much 70s hit, uh, you know, mix. You could potentially write this band off as a one-hit wonder, but they also did the song Brother Louie that was, you know, for good or ill, the theme song to Louis C.K.'s uh, FX show. That Louis, 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 that oh, yeah. song. Yeah, um, and there's a really really cool song that I got turned on to um, Joshua Hame's um, Alligator Hour that he did. Um, 
for Apple Music or Beats One Radio. And he played Everyone's a Winner uh, quite a bit on his radio show. And he would talk about just the guitar tone. And that song is uh, fucking great. It's a, it's a catchy song. It's got a really cool guitar riff. Um, and I do appreciate the fact maybe that's where that sense of humor is coming in through for Sisters of Mercy. Um, just thinking that they're just, you know, this uh, gaunt vampire band that was only playing serious music that they delved into even soul and R&B music every now and then too. So, sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the cover is pretty solid. It's, it, was, it took me by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's it. I already talked about the remixes as they happened with the other songs. So, um, so that's that. Um, and uh, we can do our, our, our rating on this, uh, guys. Um, so I guess how many canes would you give this particular album, Steve? I give it just under three canes. Ah, three canes. I give it three. Um, it did not blow my mind. I did not regret spending time with it. And there are a couple of songs that I'll re- revisit often. And uh, like I said, when I first, when I, when I really was introduced to this band, or at least this album, a couple of years ago, I really, really enjoyed it, and I still do. But I don't find myself being drawn to the entirety of the album often. But I do really enjoy the singles quite a bit. The singles are damn near fives. Uh, album as a whole, eh, round of three. Yeah, I'm a little higher. Um, I I think this for me is a four point five. Um, that's that's think, a lot higher. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, I I really enjoy this record. I think that if you listen to, it's not really meant to be listened to on shuffle. Even though I do enjoy when Dominion does come on shuffle. And to your point, Steve, I think the singles are very strong. Um, but I actually do enjoy just sitting down with this record and just uh, consuming it uh, as a whole. Um, this and, and to your to your point, Mark, that's how I I properly want to listen to the majority of the albums I like. It's just for this one, I it, it doesn't doesn't it doesn't call out to me to do that with it. So yeah, no, I understand that point of view. I mean, um, when I first was getting into I guess you could say dark music um, in high school where Nine Inch Nails became my, you know, everything. And of course, Marilyn Manson was, you know, coming up strong as well. Some of my friends who were older who would spend a lot of their time at the Amazon and and places like that would always tell me that um, Sisters of Mercy is not worth your time. And either they thought they were trying too hard or they weren't hard enough. And uh, you know, coming around to them later in, in life um, made me appreciate of how wrong they were. These were some of the folks that some hated Skinny Puppy because they were just noise. Um, some of those folks even hated Downward Spiral because they felt it was too noisy. So I don't know what was going on with some of the folks I was hanging out with. Anyhow, um, <laughs> Sisters of Mercy, I, I this, this record I think is, um, it's, it's one of my favorites. I have very strong feelings for it. Uh, it's enjoyable to listen to, and I can do it with a smile without being too, I guess, self-righteous and pretentious on wanting to just sit in a corner and paint my nails black. I, I, I think that 
there's a lot going on here and yeah, I just really respond pretty highly to it. Oh, Mark, it warms my heart that you actually rated it higher than me. And I, uh, I'm giving it a four out of five. I, uh, this, this, this album is way too ingrained in my kind of family's day to day to give it anything lower than a four. Um, it's very, it's a, it's comforting. Uh, exactly. it's, back, back to my point. Ned. Speaking of canes, Heather would get the cane out and teach you a lesson. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The soundtrack to mini spankings. Uh, but, um, but, but yes, when you, sometimes when we have to give it a critical eye for the show. It's like turning the lights on in the strip club. Um, and maybe there's a couple songs where the uh, repetitiveness or the need for editing or the need for maybe more live instrumentation um, reared its, its head. That being said, um, even on those songs, there is a groove, there is a, there is a feel and an atmosphere that just feels right. Um, so I can't dock it too much. And um, I, think it's, I think it's very special. For a band that's, that's, that has three albums that are all worth your time, this was an interesting era, maybe their most poppy era, um, uh, with uh, the gifts. The gifts just keep on uh, on giving on on this particular record. So I give it a, I give it a four out of five, um, and uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, you guys. I knew you guys both liked it to a certain degree, but you know, going to it with a with an open mind that's great. All right. Well, let's see what we're going to be discussing next. All righty. I got the dice right here. Let's see if we let's see if we were if we continue to stick Mark in the corner. <laughs> All right, that gives us an eleven. Joe. I had a dream, Joe, when you were standing in the middle of an open road. I had a dream, Joe. I kind of felt like this was going to happen and I'm very excited to announce that we'll finally be talking about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and oh, that is my pick. Well, we, can, oh, we, can bring, we can bring Mark right out of the corner and we could actually, you know, this, yeah, I said this about Uncle Acid, but for real this time, if you guys just want to keep recording, we can do it right now. <laughs> uh, for Henry's Dream, I, I know that Henry's album. Dream, yep, 1992. Yep. Well, I, I will go ahead and say you're welcome because I brought up Nick Cave about three times tonight talking, so I will. That's how you do it. That's how you use the, <laughs> the Jazz Coleman magics. The, the, the chaos, ma chaos magic, yeah. <laughs> to, uh... Yes, um, but I'm very excited. I, I'm going to go put it on right now. I will. I, that's a promise. That's a Chambers promise, a guarantee. As soon as we, <laughs> we quit recording tonight, I'm going to listen to Henry's Dream right now. That's great. That's awesome. So, uh, Eric, thanks for nominating Sisters of Mercy. It was a great discussion. Uh, I look forward to talking uh, to you folks next time about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Henry's Dream Record. Um, as always, this has been Mark. Eric. And this is Steve. And Papa won't leave you, Henry. Papa won't leave you, Henry. And just like Jack the Ripper... Um, we are going to hide into the shadows and uh, we are pod like a hole. And we are here to say we hope that we brought you closer to pod. People properly, how you have a good time without doing too much damage to yourself and preferably very little to those around you that you care about. How you do the most damage to people you don't like. Stuff like that. Well, I see. When do you think that a concert is really satisfying?
when I collapse at the end of it. Mm -hmm.